Great singing this morning. I believe God is going to trouble the water. Amen. So I want to say I'm a good and a hearty and healthy good morning to everyone. Um, once again, great to be together and good to have everybody here this morning. Um, and I do want to just quickly emphasize the church-wide Bible Talk leaders meeting today. So if you're a small group leader in Tidewater and in campus as well, we'll be having our church-wide Bible Talk leaders meeting right here um, in this sanctuary from 2 to 4 p.m. this afternoon. If you can't make it, please be sure that someone from your Bible Talk comes to represent your group. Amen? Great. Well, I just got back from Trinidad and Tobago. Amen. And um, I had such an incredible time. I, I thought that it was going to feel kind of weird going back because I haven't been back for like a year and a half. But I got off the plane and it just felt just like normal. You know, everybody was the same, same smile, same people, you know, same crazy driving. And everything was just very, very natural, very, very normal. Um, I spent nine, nine days there. This is um, on campus, the University of the West Indies. And uh, the guy on the left is Nanino Lafleur. He's the um, brother that leads the church now. Uh, he along with his wife. And then the guy on the right is Jabari. He's one of our teens who's now a campus student. So I'd gone on to campus. We had a Bible study there uh, with a guy who came to church on Sunday. The guy's open, pray that he gets baptized. He's a, um, um, he's a third year engineering student. But anyway, so we had a really good time there. Next slide. And I also went and did our um, campus devotional. Um, I believe it was that following evening. Next slide. There we go. So that's the campus ministry. That's, well, except for one guy. There's one guy missing. Otherwise, that's our campus ministry. I, I show you this to show you, in particular, campus students. Um, please pray for the campuses throughout the Caribbean. And um, if anyone wants to go to Trinidad, we're looking for someone to go for three to five years, okay, to go and build the campus. Everyone's like, <laughs> like, we thought you were talking about three to five days, like years. Yeah, three to five years. We're looking for someone to go who is able to build a campus ministry um, to encourage these guys to train and raise up a leader so that when someone leaves, there'll be someone there to continue and to carry on the work. The um, campus ministries throughout the Caribbean look kind of like this. They're small, you know, 10, some of them 15 people, but that's it. They don't have what you guys have here in Hampton Roads, 50, 60 some odd students on a particular campus. So anyway, so that was fun. Um, did the campus devotional. I think I, I taught on um, foolish love for one another. Um, so that was great. I met with the church leadership as well. The following day, I think it was on the Saturday, we had a six hour meeting just uh, trying to help them to work through some issues and uh, plan for 2018. So that meeting went well. Um, we had food and uh, again, the meeting was kind of long, but it was a lot of fun. Um, Sunday, I preached to the church out of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 10. They've been going through that the entire year. So um, that was awesome. It was, and that was the first time really I got to see the entire church because it was an all Trinidad worship service. There's four churches in Trinidad. There's one in Tobago, three in Trinidad. So um, they all came together and we got to see everybody again. So it was just a load of fun. Everyone looked younger 
than they did before for some reason. Maybe it's just the Caribbean sunshine. I, I don't know. But um, so that was great. Monday, um, you can put up the next slide. Monday, I went to visit all of the um, sick and shut-in people in the church. And it took the entire day to do it. We left northern Trinidad at like nine in the morning. We went all the way to deep south Trinidad, which is about two and a half hours away. And um, we, I went to a woman's house named Beverly. Beverly lives in La Brea, and La Brea is built on, a, um, on, on an asphalt lake. So um, molten, you know the stuff they pour on the roads, right, like the tar? This stuff bubbles out of the ground, and it's a huge lake. It's nothing but asphalt. They call it the pitch lake. So this woman um, used to be a tour guide because you can walk through the pitch lake. There's like puddles in it, and you can bathe in the puddles, so, but... A woman was a tour guide, and our family went to visit the Pitch Lake one year, and we ended up reaching out to this woman, and she became a Christian. Um, but recently, she just suffered from kidney failure. So she had gone through dialysis. She was, like, knocking on death's door, but she somehow bounced back. And when I saw everyone on Sunday, they said, hey, you got to go see Beverly. She really wants to see you. So it was, you know, like a two-hour drive to get down there. We went to go see her. And her spirits are just so good, so high. She's been reading her Bible. She's like energetic. I said, Beverly, let's let's open up the word. She's like, all right, pastor. And she like gets up out of her bed. She sits up and you could tell it was like hurting her to do it. But she got up, she sat up, she got out her Bible. And she's like reading her Bible with us and praying with us. And we sang a song. It was so encouraging to see her be strong despite the physical challenges that she had. The second person that we went to visit was the guy on the far left. His name is Vincent. Um, He used to be an electrician in the church in the north, um, but he has gotten Parkinson's disease and now prostate cancer. And within the last two months, he's gotten, he's fallen blind. So um, that's him. Um, You know, he's still um, really the only thing he could say to me was, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. He just kept saying that over and over and over again. I'm praying. Vincent, you okay? I'm praying, I'm praying. Vincent, you hungry? I'm praying, I'm praying. You got any pain? I'm praying, I'm praying. That's like all he said. But um, his wife has taken care of him. It's been really hard for her to do that. If you've ever taken care of someone who's who's ill. Um, So she's been going through that. That was a great time. The um, third person we went to see was a sister, um, also in the north. She has multiple sclerosis. She's been literally bedridden for the last four years, except to get up for doctor's appointments. Other than that, she's in the bed. And um, her, her, um, her muscles have atrophied. It's hard for her to move around anymore. But um, she said that multiple sclerosis was the biggest blessing of her life because it's allowed her to get closer to God. It's allowed the church to get closer to her at the same time. So um, we did that the entire day, and I got to say that I was probably more encouraged than, than all of them were encouraged by us being there. Um, the, the picture on the far right is food, of course. You got to eat the food. That's um, Trinidadian chicken. Um, it's, it's, it's regular chicken, but it's seasoned Trinidadian style. So Trinidadian chicken, that was in South, and then the picture in the middle is just um, some of the kids that were there and uh, a sister who wanted me to hold her, her new baby and send the picture to Leslie. So anyway, um, we had tons and tons of fellowship. It was so good just to reconnect, to see that everyone was doing well there. The church is strong. Um, everyone's happy. Everyone sends their love back here to Hampton Roads. I'm trying to go back next year. So again, if anyone wants to come, 
We'd love to have you. Uh, The church really needs help. And the things that we take for granted here in Virginia is just like gold nuggets to the people in the Caribbean and to the church in Trinidad and Tobago. The stuff that you do without even thinking is like, whoa, it's like mind-blowing stuff for them. So even if you feel like, what, what do I have to give? What do I have to offer? I encourage you to pray about it. Think about it. Trying to go back in June. And if you want to come, you can come. We'll find a way for you to serve. Amen? Amen. Amen. So that was a trip. Lots more that I could share, but I, obviously I'm not going to because we only have so much time this morning. I think what I learned was just simple faith. Um, when I, I believe that when we came here, I felt like that was locked in. Like, man, my faith is so simple. But believe it or not, here in the United States, we have something that, that holds us back. And it's called affluence. And it's called comfortability. And I really try to hold on for like three months while we were here. Like July, August, and September. But by the time October rolled around of last year, I was like, oh, just forget it. I'm just going to roll right on in with everybody else. Let me just be comfortable and and sit back and relax. But going to Trinidad, it opened my eyes again to realize, man, we've got so much. And all that we have is probably a hindrance for us in terms of our faith. The people in Trinidad have so, so little, but their faith is so strong. And I really believe that that the trappings that we have of life truly are trappings here in this country that we've got to watch out for. The other thing that I uh, came away from it with was just loving one another. The relationships there are are incredibly rich. Um, You're on an island. You're not going anywhere. People have been in the church together for 20 years. They constantly are working out issues with each other over and over and over again. And the atmosphere and the spirit is just, hey, we're just going to love each other other. Regardless of what happens, we're going to love one another. So I walked away with that as well. And then on top of that, obviously, I just got to be grateful, you know, thankful to God for my health, thankful to God for his church, for the word, for all of you guys, for my wife, my family. We have a lot to be grateful for. And so this morning, if you could turn with me to Exodus, Exodus chapter 15, title of the lesson is God's provision in desperation. God's provision in desperation. After 400 years of slavery, Abraham's descendants have now been liberated from Pharaoh and delivered through the Red Sea. And upon their deliverance, Moses writes a song and they sing the song. They praise God, not just the men, but the women as well for what he's done. And for what he will do. Jonathan, thanks so much for preaching last week. I listened to the message. Great job. That was an awesome lesson. Thank you. And so we're going to talk about three scenarios of grumbling today. We're going to find them in Exodus chapter 15, verses 22 through 27. This is bitter water that was turned sweet at Marah. And then all of Exodus chapter 16 is the second one. This is quail and manna from heaven in the desert of sin. The third, if we get to it, is Exodus 17 verses 1 through 7, which is water from the rock at Massa and Meribah. Each one of these situations follows a, a pattern. 
that we're going to um, draw points from this morning. The pattern is simply God leads us into scarcity. Then we grumble and romanticize. And then God graciously provides. That's what we'll find in each one of these three stories. The point, I think, today is simply that God leads us into desperate situations to test our faith in his provision. There was a brother in Trinidad who owed me some money, um, a good, a decent amount of money. And um, like I said, we've been gone for a year and a half. The brother was supposed to pay me back like within a month of us coming back to the United States. And he never paid me back. And I'm, I'm texting him and talking to him, having other people talk to him in the fellowship. And he's just not giving me the money. And so, honestly, I started to kind of like grumble in my heart, get upset. Like, this brother, I thought he was my friend. And I thought he was a Christian. And <laughs> he's not giving me my money. So I, I eventually, I had to get on my knees and I had to pray. I said, Lord, you know what? It's okay. I'm not going to let money separate me from my brother in Christ. And if he doesn't want to give me the money or if he doesn't have the money or whatever the circumstances are, that's totally fine. I'm not going to even worry about the money anymore. Just let it go. And I let it go. Got to Trinidad. I wasn't even thinking about the money, believe it or not. But on Sunday, his son comes up to me with this envelope with a big fat wad of cash because, well, TT dollars, you need a lot more money to convert to U.S. This big fat wad of cash and puts it in my hand. I'm like, it's the money. I'm like, awesome. His dad was in New York, but I told him, tell your dad, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. The point that I'm trying to make is that God leads us into situations of scarcity where it it seems like, it feels like nothing's going to happen. God's not going to come through. We begin to whine, complain, grumble, argue in our hearts, right? And then all of a sudden God comes through and he provides in the end. I think that's what we're going to see this morning. So please pray with me. We'll start to read. A great God in heaven, you are our provider. You bless us with everything that we need. Not necessarily everything that we want, Father, but definitely everything that we need. And Lord, we know that there are times when it seems like and it feels like we lack, like we don't have everything that we need. But it's in those times, Lord, that we trust that you're leading us to a place to test our faith in you and to see what comes out of our hearts so that you can ultimately provide and so that we can depend on you. I pray, God, that we can learn this lesson this morning, that we can walk out of here this morning full of faith, full of trust, full of confidence that whatever situation we're in, that if we put our hope and our trust in you, Lord, you will provide in the end and our needs will be met. We thank you so much for this fellowship that you've given us and for your word that teaches us so many amazing things. Help us to learn. Help us to love. And we pray in Jesus's name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so Exodus chapter 15, verse 22, it says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. 
So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a piece of wood, probably a branch or maybe even a tree. He threw it into the water and the water became fit to drink. Then the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. Point number one this morning is God leads us into scarcity. God leads us into scarcity. Like I said, each one of these three sections, it begins with a location. The first is here in Marah. The next is the desert of sin. The third is Massa and Meribah. After that comes the problem. In this particular uh, problem of scarcity, it's bitter water. The next one, there's no food. And then the third one, there's no water. Think about it. God had gone before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night on this at, up to this point, short journey so far through the desert. And this manifestation of God would stay with Israel up until the time they entered the promised land, roughly 40 some odd years later. And so God was the one leading them from place to place to place. God led them to bitter waters. God led them to no food. God led them to no water. Just like we talked about two weeks ago when God hemmed them in back at the Red Sea. Remember when we talked about that? Same type of situation that's going on here. God led them to these particular places. Now, why would an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God lead people to a place where their needs are not going to be met. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? God says, I'm going to lead you away from the Egyptians, the big bad wolf Egyptians, right? But I'm going to take you into the desert and I'm going to take you to a place where there's nothing for you to drink. Well, God does that on purpose. And at first blush, it seems like God's being mean, but he's actually doing it to test Israel again. It says there the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He wanted to test where their faith in him was at. And he tests with the goal of strengthening them. Kind of like if you've ever played football in high school before, they have conditioning before the season starts, right? That's a test. It's not a test to, um, to find out how bad you are. It's a test to find out how do you need to be strengthened? Where do you need to grow? How do you need to change? That's the same type of test that God is putting Israel through at this point. At this time, they'd only been traveling for three days and they were young. They were immature in this relationship with God and in their faith. And so he brings them to situations where they lack the most basic of needs. Water. I know for me, There are times when I feel like God leads me into scarcity. And normally it's sometime right around Friday or Saturday before I have to preach. I've got my passage, right? And I get my my laptop out and I'm like, all right, time to write a sermon. But then there's like no words. 
I don't know what to put on the page. It's just completely blank. And I'm like, God, wait a minute. I mean, we've been doing this for 20. I've been in the ministry 20 years now. Like for 20 years, every week almost, you bring me to this place where you tell me, Tony, I want you to go and preach and teach my word. And I'm trying to be obedient, so I break out my laptop every week, but every time I break out the laptop, there's a blank screen. What's up with that? And so I kind of got to wrestle, I got to hem and haw, I got to read the verse over and over and over, let me read a different translation. I get on my knees and I start to pray, and I start to pray, and I start to pray, and then all of a sudden things begin to break loose. I don't know how, I don't know why God does this to me every single week. I guess it's just to keep me humble. It's to test me, right? It's to test whether or not I'm going to rely on him. And he brings me to this place every week where I have to say, Lord, look, I trust you. I know I've only got a day to write this sermon, but I'm just going to trust that you're going to give me the words to say. I don't even know what they are just yet. And I'll get on and I'll start to type. And the next thing you know, things start coming one thing after another, after another, after another, after another, until finally I've got a sermon. And so do you find it cruel that God would lead his people to to a place where their needs are not immediately met? Do you find that to be odd, strange, vindictive even? By God. Luke 4, Jesus, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted, can also be translated as tested, by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, guess what? He was hungry. Why would the Spirit lead the Son of God here? Of all people, of all places, to the wilderness with no food? It was to test Jesus. And Jesus passed the test with flying colors. And we're going to see in a minute that Israel, unfortunately, did not. And so why does God lead us into scarcity? He does it to test us. Remember, his first goal is not our happiness. God's first goal is our holiness. So I want you to turn to your neighbor right now, and I want you to tell your neighbor, neighbor, God's first goal is not my happiness. It's my holiness. Now keep looking at your neighbor, okay? And say, neighbor, God's first goal is not your happiness. It's your holiness. holiness. Amen. Amen. You didn't have to say the amen part. (laughs) God led them to a place of scarcity. Personally, in your life, have you ever been led to a place like that before? A place where you feel like, I don't really have any other place to go, but the place that I'm in that just doesn't seem to have any answers here. The the basic things that I need don't seem to be provided here. That's God leading you to a place of scarcity, testing you. Maybe it's too much month and not enough money. 
right? Maybe it's a relationship that's supposed to be wholesome, supposed to be fulfilling. Maybe it's your marriage and you feel like my marriage is dry. God, you brought me into this relationship, but it's not moving the way that it's supposed to. Have you ever been there before? Those of you that are not married, I know you've never been there before. But maybe this would apply to everyone. Maybe you're just not growing spiritually. Like, okay, I know that I'm full with God's Holy Spirit now. I'm supposed to be being sanctified day by day. I'm supposed to be growing. God, you've brought me here. And I know that that's your purpose and your intention, but I just don't feel like I'm growing. I feel like I'm just kind of stale, like an old crusty piece of bread or a cracker or something. (laughs) Have you ever felt that before? So I know that would apply to everyone, right? It's a test. It's a test. He wants to test our faith. Will we hold strong or will we waver? Will we give in and grumble, whine and complain? Or will we stand strong and be faithful? This week, I want us to, very simple, just simply be aware of God's tests in our lives. Look to recognize times this week where God brings you to a place of scarcity. And all I want us to do is think, this is one of those times. That's it. Just think, this is one of those times. God is testing me. Is that easy to do? Yeah, that's pretty. Someone said no, but that is pretty easy to do. I just want us to be aware of it. Amen. Point number two, we grumble and romanticize. We grumble and romanticize. Exodus 16, one, the whole Israelite community set out from Elim. This is where the 12 springs and the 70 palm trees were, right? The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they'd come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Wow. They're now 30 days into the journey. And it doesn't say that there wasn't any food, but apparently there wasn't. Because they start to grumble and complain. Two quick characteristics of grumbling. One, grumbling spreads. Grumbling spreads. It says the whole community grumbled. We're talking about two million people. You're now sure not all two million people were grumbling, but I'm sure at least a million of them were. At least like a million and a half people were grumbling up to this point, right? Do you think that just all of a sudden on day 30, their watches went off and they say, hey, it's time for everybody to grumble now. Let's start complaining. No, it started out with probably just two or three people. Hey, man, I'm starting to get hungry. You getting hungry? Yeah, I'm starting to get hungry, too. Where are we again? We're out here in the desert. Didn't Moses say we was going to be okay? But I'm hungry, man, and we ran out of food last week. What do you think about that? Man, I don't know. That's kind of crazy. 
the Lord. He says he's the Lord. Try to take us out of Egypt. But we don't have any food. That ain't right. That just ain't right, y'all. Let's go talk to some other people. They go talk to the other people. Hey, y'all, what's up? Look, we don't got no food. Have y'all thought about that? What y'all going to eat next week? And then everybody's like, I wasn't really thinking about that, but you're right. We don't have any food. And then it just starts to grow and grow and spread and spread until all of these people are now grumbling against Moses and Aaron. And it spreads amongst the entire community. We've got to watch that our faithlessness doesn't cause others to be faithless. And we've got to watch out that others' faithlessness does not cause us to be faithless. Amen? So grumbling spreads. The second characteristic of grumbling is that grumbling and complaining is a perception problem. It's a perception problem. The Bible says that the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And so they were upset against Moses and Aaron, but didn't they see that huge pillar of of fire at night and that huge pillar of cloud during the day? And didn't they realize that every time that thing moved, the entire assembly moved? And so, yes, Aaron and Moses might have been in the front as human being representatives, people that God was working through. But at the end of the day, it was God that was leading them into these situations. So why are they upset and grumbling and complaining against Moses and Aaron when it was God who had led them to where they were? Moses even says in verse eight, who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but the Lord. And so many times we miss the big picture that God is in control. And we take up our complaints with people when our issue is really with the Lord himself. And so someone gives you very wise, sound, spiritual biblical advice and counsel, like within context, like exegesis and the Hebrew and the Greek is like on point. But we don't like it. And guess who we blame? The person that gave us the message. Instead of blaming God, because you don't want you don't dare blame God, right? Why well, I ain't going to talk about God, but I'll talk about you. When you've really got an issue with God, You don't have an issue with the brother or the sister that told you the truth about your life. And we've got to take it up with the Lord at that point. Amen. When we do take our issues to the Lord first in prayer, guess what? God gives us perspective. We realize that maybe a there's nothing that can be done anyway, or that person wasn't really responsible, or we walk away realizing that it could be much worse. Maybe we walk away grateful for the advice that we've gotten, or maybe even perhaps I know this is taboo, but I might be partially to blame. When we go and we pray to God, God gives us perspective. He opens our eyes and he makes the situation different. They say, there we sat around pots of meat and all the food that we wanted. They began to romanticize the days that they were in Egypt. Was it really that good? 
I mean, they're starting to make this thing sound like it was one of these sandals resorts, right? Like all, all inclusive, right? Anything I want to do whenever I want to do it. I just don't seem to remember it being that way. I thought that Pharaoh wanted to kill Hebrew baby boys. Does anybody else remember that? I thought that they were forced to make bricks without straw. I thought that they were groaning and moaning under the oppression in the hand of Pharaoh so much so that they were calling God to please, please come and rescue us. And that's how Moses got there in the first place, right? But because we've lost perspective, we begin to romanticize. Oh, it was so much better back then. It was so good. But the Egyptians did not treat them that well. They did not give them pots of meat. Israel was romanticizing their lives as slaves. Life was not that good in Egypt. And so we do this when we are experiencing pain or when we're discontent. Life was much better before I was in this church. I had so much more time. So many more closer friends. Not like these people who keep calling me out on my sin. Really? Did you really have more time? And if you did, more time to do what? To be selfish and to be lazy? Is that what the time was used for? More time to get into sin? More time to work more, maybe, right? Better friends, really? Friends that got uncomfortable when you became a Christian because you were just too committed Right. Friends that encourage you to get drunk, get high, have sex. Right. To lie to protect yourself. Or are those the friends that were better back then than the friends that you have now? Do you see how we romanticize? I know that our minds go there because my mind has gone there many times. Friends that were never concerned about your spiritual life. Never asked you to pray once. Never said, hey, let's go to church. Never opened up a single scripture. The only time they got concerned is when you said, hey, I'm going to start going to church. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Then their attention peaked and perked, right? And then accused you of being too committed. It's okay to go to church sometimes, but you're too committed. It's okay to have a little bit of Jesus, but you got too much Jesus. Do you see what I'm saying? We can't romanticize our life before we became Christians. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Oh, if I was just a part of another Bible talk, if I was just a part of another region, if I was just a part of another church, if I had another discipleship partner, It's a perception problem. The grass isn't always greener on the other side. Are you with me? Can you hear me? It's a perception problem. There's problems everywhere you go. It's called life. Whether you're in the church or out of the church, regardless if you got a job in Virginia Beach or in Chesapeake, if you live in Norfolk or if you live in Suffolk, it doesn't matter. You're going to have problems. But I'd rather have problems with God than without him. I'd rather have problems with his word than without it. I'd rather have problems with the church and in the church than outside of the church. Because life is much better then. They had a perception problem because they were too busy looking at their problems and not at God. 
They even thought Moses was out to get them. They said, but you've brought, you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. They're like, man, your motives are all messed up, Moses. That Moses is like, that's not my heart. What are you talking about? That's not what I'm trying to do. But because of their perception problem, they now impugned Moses's motives. You know, grumbling and complaining is merely a symptom of our lack of trust in God, lack of faith in God and lack of focus on God. And so when we're tempted to grumble, let's look to God. Let's look at God to get perspective. Amen. Amen. Lastly, God graciously provides. God graciously provides. Exodus 16, 9. It says, then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat and in the morning you'll be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. And so God graciously provides. And I say graciously because notice that there is no anger or rebuke on God's part. When you read each one of these three circumstances that happened, the the bitter water turned sweet, the manna and the quail from heaven and then the water from the rock. Israelite grumbles, they complain. God doesn't say, what's wrong with you guys? God doesn't get angry with them. God just simply provides. He says, okay, here you go. Here's manna and here's quail. Here's water from a rock. The the water was bitter. It's sweet now. Go ahead and drink it. Isn't that amazing? Now, Moses and Aaron, they were getting angry. If it were me, I know I would have been getting angry. But God did not get angry with them. There was grace when the water was turned sweet. There was generosity when God gave them manna and quail, and there was no correction when the water came from the rock. This manna was, uh, like the Bible says, thin flakes that appeared in the morning, and as the day grew hotter, it would melt away. It had a high nutritional value. It had to because they ate it for 40 years, right? And they survived on it. And it seems like it was fragile because if you kept it for too long, worms and maggots would get into it and would eventually destroy it. God also gave them some regulations about the collection of the manna. He says, you're only supposed to gather what's required for that day. And then he says, basically, that each Israelite was required to gather their own manna for that day. And then on the sixth day, you were to gather twice as much as you would normally gather, because on the seventh day, there's not going to be any manna and you can't gather any then. And when you do gather it, only take what you need, because if you take more than what you need, then it's going to go bad. It's going to rot. 
And so these provisions of sweet water, manna and and water from the rock taught Israel. They taught that God was powerful and that he could do the miraculous. Could you imagine two million people in the desert whining, moaning, groaning, complaining every step of the way? And God just miraculously providing water from rocks. I mean, who does that? Bread from heaven that's just on the ground. You just go and pick it up every morning. Quail that comes and flies in and you're able to roast it and cook it like Whoa, what an amazing God. It taught Israel that he was a gracious and loving God and that he could be relied on to provide for his people. And another reason for this manna test in particular, besides teaching them to follow instructions, was to teach them to rely upon him and depend upon him for their existence through a structure of a daily rhythm. They learned that man does not live by bread alone, but on every mouth that comes from the Lord. And that obedience to the word of God is our highest calling. Even if this means going without food, even if that means dying, obedience is more important. And they were dependent upon the bread, but they were even more dependent upon God's instructions about the bread. Because if they didn't rely on the instructions, then they wouldn't have the bread. Do you see what I'm saying? And so the instructions, the words from God's mouth, the obedience to those instructions were more important than them filling their own bellies. And so this came through a built in structure and consistency that would have brought order to an otherwise chaotic life in the desert. They get up in the morning, not whenever they wanted to get up. I can't get up at five o'clock and go collect manna. I've got to do it when the sun comes up before it all melts away. So you got to get up. You got to work. You got to gather your bread. And I can't gather bread for you. I can't gather bread for you. I've got to gather bread for me. You've got to gather bread for you. That's the way it worked. Gather enough for two days on the day he tells you to. Can't do it on Monday. Oh, I want to gather enough bread for two days today on Monday because I feel like it. God says, no, 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 no. You're going to do that when I tell you to. You're going to do that on Saturday or Friday, rather, because the Sabbath was on Saturday. And you can't gather far more than you need. Only gather enough for that day. And so through his gracious provision, he taught them to depend upon him. Luke 11, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. And part of that prayer, Jesus says, give us today our what? Daily bread. bread. Do you think that Jesus might have been thinking about this situation? Of course he was. He had to be referring to this. He's saying that his disciples need to learn to look daily to the Lord and depend daily on the Lord in the same way that Israel learned to depend on the Lord in the desert. Israel was being taught to live hand to mouth, hand to mouth physically. You've heard that term before, right? When, when you don't have a whole lot of money, like as soon as you get the money, you're spending it on a bill or on food. That means you're living hand to mouth. And so God was teaching them that they lived, needed to live that way. And so God is our source of life. Obedience to God is more life saving for a hungry man than the eating of bread. And he graciously provides. John 6, Jesus says that he is the bread from heaven. And he makes the comparison in the same way that the manna came from heaven. He says that he came from heaven. 
in the same way that the manna was to provide sustenance and nutrition for God's people, Jesus provides sustenance and nutrition for God's people. Jesus is the manna from above for this hungry world. Jesus is the bread for our souls in the same way that the manna was for the Israelites. And so we have to learn to live hand to mouth spiritually and to be dependent upon God daily. We have to get up and gather our bread for the day by reading or listening to the word of God. And when I gather my bread, it can't be for you, unfortunately. I can't have my quiet time for you. I wish I could. I wish I could be super spiritual, be in the Bible the entire day, and that just covers everybody in the whole congregation, right? But I can't do that. My bread is for me. Your bread is for you. And guess what? If you don't gather any bread, guess what happens? You're going to starve. You don't eat. And so we've got to get out and gather our own bread. We've got to walk with him every day. Talk with him every day. Live for him every day. And even in my own times with God, I've got to go back to the well every day. Because even though I gather enough for today, and I might have a really, really awesome time with God today, that doesn't mean I don't need him tomorrow. I've got to go back. I've got to gather my manna. And so I say this to make an allusion to, I I think everybody gets it, that we need to be walking with God. How do we do this? We pray, we read our Bible. We talk to him, we express our hearts, our thoughts, our feelings. We, we lay everything bare before him. We listen to his voice and we do what he wants us to do. And by this, we build a relationship with God. And we're encouraged and we're nourished spiritually. If you're not a Christian, you can eat this same bread. And you can also never go hungry. We invite you to sit down with us, open the Bible, learn who this Jesus is, this bread of life, this manna from heaven, and get your own nourishment, your own encouragement and spiritual food to feed your soul. Amen. Amen. God's gracious provision in our daily times with us, with him, teach us the same things that the manna taught Israel. And it allows God to bring order to our otherwise chaotic lives. Have you ever had a day that you don't spend with God? Life just kind of goes out, out, just all sorts of different places, right? You're like all frustrated. You don't know what's going on. You're kicking the cat, right? And and you realize, man, it's because I wasn't even centered in the beginning. Life is going to happen regardless, okay? But when you're centered in the beginning, when you fed yourself, you've got the perspective on the chaos that happens Throughout the course of a day. And so we've got to spend daily time with the Lord. Reading. I hope I'm making the point. We've got to read. And we've got to pray to feed ourselves spiritually. Amen. Amen. And so I don't have even time to get into the third one. Bitter water turns sweet. Quail and manna from heaven. Water from a rock. Read that on your own. Each follows a pattern. 
that teaches us about testing and the grace of God. God leads us to scarcity. He's not evil. He wants to test our faith. Let's be aware that this is how he operates. We grumble and romanticize because we're not looking at God and getting perspective. Let's look at him and to him for our perspective and for our needs. And lastly, God graciously provides. Let's feed on the bread of life being Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen.